Hey, folks. Welcome to Kaiser's Castle. Back in the castle today. And, of course, uh, my lovely co-host, Kate. She's on uh, Kate in Kate's castle right now, all cozy, as we always enjoy our own little castles and enjoy our talks together. Today, folks, Kate has an awesome first 30 minutes I'm giving to her for uh, a breakdown of the Oda Loop and also situational awareness. And she is a subject matter expert, and please pay very close attention because in these times, you're going to need this valuable information to make critical decisions. With that being said, Kate, it's all yours right now. Uh, take it away, Kate. Hello, everyone, and welcome to his big orange couch. Surprise. Um, basically, the need for development of situational awareness um, its never been more important than it is today. There are a lot of things going on in this world. Let's narrow it right on down to the nation of the United States, to narrow it right on down to whatever state you live in, to narrow it down to whatever living room that you are in right now listening to this or your vehicle. You have no idea what is getting ready to happen in your vehicle, in your grocery store, which I can tell a story about a grocery store incident that happened just recently. Um, Situational awareness saved a woman's life, but... Would you know what to do should a hostile situation starts to unfold quickly around you? How would you respond? Would you react or would you act? Would you freeze or would you run? How do you train yourself to develop a fast response time when the seconds matter? People think, oh, my God, you have to be trained for something like this. Well, it does take a little bit of training. It really does. Fortunately, for average individuals like you and I, well, I like to think we're a little above average, but we'll just say for the sake of argument that we're average individuals. Developing such a situational awareness um, and the ability to act quickly is a skill that can be developed. Um, in this portion tonight, I'm going to try to discuss uh, the skills that you can begin to develop now and how you can easily incorporate these skills into your daily routine to help you increase the likelihood that you will survive in a hostile situation if it unfolds near you or right in front of you. In 2003, I spent some time in Afghanistan doing NGO work, um, non-governmental work. Um, and from time to time, a few members of my team would visit the downtown bazaar to pick up a few things that we needed. There was one occasion where we ended up getting a crowd that began to follow us. Two flanking on the left, three on the right, four behind us, you know, the scenario. We tried to flag down a taxi, but nobody would stop for us. By the time we decided to run, the crowd had grown very large. And we ended up sprinting to a taxi, forcing the driver to accept us. We barely escaped before the crowd fully engulfed us. Had we not been paying attention to our surroundings, things would have turned out very differently. Being aware of your environment is a valuable skill for your survival. I am not saying that something is going to happen when you go to the grocery store tomorrow to pick up a loaf of bread. But what I am saying is beware. A good example is a friend of mine and I who are 
trained in a few situational awareness uh, problems. We entered a grocery store, got our groceries, went to the cash register. The woman in front of me, this was right when we did not know that COVID-19 was whatever it is. And there was a woman in front of us that she was leaning over her cart. Her groceries was only like $24 or $27, something like that. She was leaning over her cart. She couldn't find her money. She couldn't find anything. She was sick. She had a fever. You could tell she was in distress. And there were two Cretans, two hoodlums, standing at the door. How could we tell they were hoodlums? Because they were watching every move this woman made. And you could tell, just like a rabid dog, they were licking their chops, just knowing that she was a an individual that they could take very easily. Um, we paid for her, this woman's uh, groceries. I paid for my groceries. My friend paid for her groceries. As we were leaving, we noticed that this woman was still leaning over her cart, so we were helping her out to her vehicle. As we were helping her out to her vehicle, guess who was following us? And there were three of them. We got to her vehicle, and one pulls a knife. Now, my friend and I started giggling because it was like, really? (laughs) Is that all you got? You can't do any better than that. And, of course, they're yelling at us, give us your purses. We're going to stab you. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And, of course, we we draw our firearms. One guy about peed himself. He immediately put his hands behind his head and got on his knees. We didn't have to tell him to do anything. To make a long story short, they were arrested. The woman went home. Um, and she passed away the following morning. That is how ill that woman was. Um, the point of that story is, had we not been watching our surroundings, that woman would have been, been a victim in the parking lot. My friend and I could have been victims in that parking lot know your surroundings that doesn't mean you have to be paranoid and look around and think that everybody is a bad guy just know your surroundings now before i go into detail about um anything else i want to discuss a concept called oodle loop that's o-o-d-a loop l-o-o-p um it'll give you or it'll serve you um as a foundation for what I'm going to talk about in situational awareness. The concept of OODA loop um, was described by United States Air Force theorist Colonel John Boyd. The term is said to have been used by the United States Air Force fighter crew as the ACE factor, A-C-E factor, when it comes to situational awareness. Survival in a dogfight typically, typically back then was a matter of observing the opponent's current move um, and anticipating his next move a fraction of a second before he could observe and anticipate his own actions. Um, The phrase OODA loop refers to the decision uh, cycle, such as observe, orient, decide, act. And using OODA loop, uh, we can help train the mind to learn how to only spot a potential threat not only 
spot a potential threat, but to learn how to quickly react to that threat. Um, I'm going to cover some practical steps to teach you how to begin to look for a potential threat. I'm also going to discuss how to begin conditioning your mind to move past identifying a threat and acting when literally seconds matter. Um, the first O in OODA loop is observe. So much situational awareness is being cognitive of your environment. Um, for example, what is going on around you? This is a skill that's been lost. A lot of people do not look around and see what is actually happening. What is happening in your yard? What is happening across the street? What is happening in the grocery store parking lot? We're constantly surrounded by distractions, especially with this era of mobile technology. Um, we need to learn to look up and take notice of our surroundings. It's, that is the first step. We have our noses tucked away in our devices all the time, in our cell phones, in our tablets, that we are not looking to see what is actually going on around us. It's important that you learn to train your mind to be in an active state of observing. This is not paranoia, but it's being alert of cognitive movement and of what is happening around you. You sometimes hear people say, live in the moment. For me, that simply means to take in everything around you. Stay in the moment. Look up and observe everything that is around you. Not only is this important, it's equally as important in training your mind to memorize what is going on around you when you come into a new environment and you think, memorize, oh, great, she's going to talk about school stuff. I've been out of school for 50 years, 40 years, 30 years. I am not talking about school memorization. I am talking about memorizing your surrounding area. Um, even though I'm a girl, last time I looked, and I do not identify as a guy, which I know most guys are really happy about that, I was the youngest child of 10 siblings. And the only girl. Therefore, I was the honorary Boy Scout. My parents could not afford me to go to Girl Scouts. In Boy Scouts, they had a game called Kims, K-I-M-S. That's where you memorize sayings, and later you had to recall the sayings and what you saw. You begin to take note of what is around you and see if you can quickly memorize what is around you because you are going to have to say what is what you memorized. When I was in practicals training in the military, in a military survival course, um, I learned a very valuable lesson on exam day. Um, I was 95 Bravo, United States Army, which is military police. Um, the instructor passed out an exam to every person in the room and he began the timer and he says go okay about five minutes into the exam a woman walked in the room she handed the instructor a piece of paper the woman exited the room the examiner told everyone to stop writing put your pencils down so we did we we're all confused the instructor 
um, told us to turn the exam over and write on the back of the exam exactly what the woman did when she entered the room. What was she wearing? What was the color of her hair? Was she male or female? Because it was a person he was talking about. He didn't give gender specifics. Um, was she wearing glasses? The instructor wanted a detailed description. Okay, needless to say, we all flunked that exam. We were so busy with our noses and our paperwork that we did not, well, yeah, we noticed that the door opened, somebody walked in, handed someone paper, and left. That was it. When we memorize our surroundings, we begin to improve our ability to learn to take notice of what is happening around us. Um, there's a scene from a movie um, in Born Identity where the main character is trying to piece together his past and he's in a diner with some young lady and he's reciting all of the information that he's memorized from his current surroundings. I am not saying that this movie is like something that you have to memorize or it's, it's accurate, but it is something that we can take advantage of by learning. It's a skill that is learned and it does take time. So start by taking notes of your surroundings and begin memorizing details and see how much you can retain. Um, go with a friend, go with a buddy and just pick out a certain spot and start memorizing what is going on in that spot right in that moment. The goal is to be in a state of alert pay, where you pay close attention to as many details as you can. Uh, some may argue that this is being a bit paranoid. Uh, we're not trying to look for a threat around every corner. We're not worried that something bad's going to happen. But what we're looking to do is to learn how to take notice and observe what is happening around you at all times. You're in an active mental state instead of putting your nose in your cell phone. Position yourself to observe. Observe the entrance if you're in a, a building or in a restaurant. Position yourself close to an exit. If you already have these places identified, should a situational problem arise, you can quickly move to the two places of the OODA loop, which is observe and, well, we'll get on to the others here in a moment. You need to learn to act quickly. Learn to observe the behavior of other people. Um, but you say, but Kate, you really are getting paranoid. No. Observe the actions of other people. This just takes a split second. You look at someone and you just know. You do not have to try to explain it away. Follow your instincts. If someone has their hands in their pockets or their they have their hands folded and they're just talking to somebody else and, and you can hear the accent of the southerner and they're just talking like this and they're just, they're just having a pleasant conversation. You, you are not thinking that they are going to be pulling a gun on someone else. But if there's a guy standing at the door and he is not with anyone else or if he is with someone else and he's with another guy and they are watching a certain individual, they could possibly be a threat to that individual. 
out of the corner of your eye, if you suddenly notice an individual walking down the street in a general direction, and a few seconds later, you notice that he's across the street on your side, and say you're at an ATM or something like that, and he's now changed directions and he's walking specifically towards you, what are you going to do? A second ago, he wasn't there. Now he's there. Say you are in the grocery store and you're walking down an aisle and this guy is coming behind you. Okay, yes, there are a lot of people in a grocery store. Now you're going down two aisles later, the same guy's there following behind you. Well, maybe that's a coincidence. Do you believe in coincidence? Maybe that is a coincidence. Well, you decide, okay, hmm, let's go into a totally different section of the store. And you turn around and the guy is still there. You can safely say in the back of your mind that maybe this guy is following you. Maybe he's watching you as much as you are being aware that, that you are watching him. You need to watch people. See if you can pick up on people's mannerisms and behaviors. Um, I like to go to the mall. I hate the mall. But you can learn a lot just by sitting and watching people. You learn to keep an eye out for odd behavior. That doesn't mean that somebody is a threat because their behavior is a little, bit, little out of the ordinary. But take note of that out of the ordinary. When things aren't lining up and you sense a potential threat, it's time to move to the next steps. Um, we, we got observe, now orient. Once you have observed down and you've determined that somebody or something is not following the baseline of the expected behavior of a given environment, we have to quickly compile and synthesize that information and piece things together and decide what you're going to do next. Now, this isn't going to be, oh, my gosh, I need to remember, oodle look, what did Kate say? Oh, goodness. And then take a half an hour to figure everything out. This takes just a matter of seconds. Once you've trained your mind to do stuff, this just takes a matter of seconds. That guy looks kind of weird. Okay, yeah, his mannerisms are kind of different than everybody else's. Now you just, in just a matter of seconds, figured out, in your mind that this guy could be a threat. That doesn't mean he is, but if your gut feeling that says that this guy is a threat, follow your instincts. Always follow your instincts. We all do this at some level, whether we realize it or not. Say, like, you're at a restaurant and someone begins to act out. That's not normal. And you often find yourself turning in their direction to see what's going on. You are observing, and now you are orienting. They have your attention. It's at that moment that we need to instinctively, instinctively move to the OODA loop cycle and decide what we're going to do with the information that we now have that's being put in our mind. This person is acting up. Now what do we do? Now we've spotted an anomaly. We're pivoting. We're orienting ourselves to that issue to determine if we are facing a threat or not. While many people can observe things a bit off, the ability to orient and move to the next few steps are critical. If you require, if it requires you to force yourself to engage in the moment, 
then that is what you need to do. This is the most important part of the OODA loop since many cannot move past the observation phase. Moving through the ability to orient yourself to actively engage in the moment determines whether we'll lock up if things escalate. O-O-D, now we're on D. Decide. We're living in the moment. Here we are. We're cognitive of what's happening around us. So what would you do if you actually saw something out of the ordinary and you begin to orient yourself to face the threat? What are you really going to do? Have you really even thought of it? This is where we must uh, come up with a plan and decide how we will behave. Putting together a plan on the fly with the information that you get at your disposal and having your mind already actively engaged allows you to overcome what our body will do naturally. This is where many people that haven't made this decision to engage to orient themselves to the threat instinctively default to their freeze or flight behavior. Um, the term deer in the headlights that, refu- that refers to how if you shine a flashlight in a deer's eyes, it's going to freeze without going into a deep discussion of the body's response of fight or flight. Um, it's about the moment. The moment that most people lose their higher cognitive thought process and let the harm come to them. Their bloodstream, um, there's endorphins, hormones that uh, is dumped into the bloodstream and they allow their body to take over to just freeze. How do you overcome this natural reaction? Um, There's a few simple things that you can do to calm your body down. Um, And you give your body enough to give you time to react. Um, These techniques are useful when it's afforded, but sometimes you don't have that luxury um, depending on the situation. Like one of the first things is you can control your breathing. Your body will naturally increase your breathing rate as a threat has presented itself, and your body is beginning to prepare to run. Do you run to the situation or do you run from the situation? Breathe. It doesn't matter how you are going to fight or flight. Breathe. Control your breathing. Uh, One of the other things you do is ask yourself yourself some questions. It's like, but Kate, you're in the middle of a situation. Then ask yourself some questions. This still delays the... the, um, physiological response in the neurotransmitters of your brain to slow down. The best technique is to develop positive, inquisitive self-talk in your head. Ask yourself, what are you going to do? Come on, Kate, what are you going to do? Prepare yourself and take yourself through what you're going to do to handle the situation. This all happens in just a matter of seconds. It isn't a, what did Kate say to do? What do I need to do? Don't get locked onto the thread to allow yourself to freeze up, but purposely engage your mind and talk it through to find a solution that you can act upon. And that leads us to act in the OODA loop. Out of all the phrases discussed in this portion tonight, 
in a hostile situation, this phase, act, may be the hardest for most people. Life or death could be hanging in the balance in just a matter of seconds if individuals are not capable or unwilling to quickly move and act. If you own a gun and you go to the range, don't just shoot at the paper target. But have a scenario in your mind where you may be shooting at an intruder who is threatening your family. But Kate, I can't shoot somebody. If you're a man and there's another man or other men breaking into your home to rape your wife and your child, nine times out of ten, that man will shoot. If you're a woman and there's a man breaking into your home and you know that he means you harm, shoot him. I would. Now, that might not be good advice. I am not an attorney. But if someone is coming into my home to harm me, I am going to harm them first. There are no rules. The goal is to teach you to get a killer instinct. You're like, oh, my gosh, Kate, you're really weird. Yes, I am. I am weird. I I will own that. You need to begin to train your mind and emotions to engage if you have to face a hostile threat. You have to train the way you think you would feel in real life. You have to be aggressive and you have to train accordingly. Going to the range to shoot a paper target is not training. Yes, it trains you how to use your weapon at first. But if you are in a hostile situation, you do not know how to use your weapon because a hostile situation, that human being or that bear or that cougar or whatever, is a moving target. It is not a paper target. Situational awareness is a skill that you must work on and develop. As you leave your home and you visit stores, restaurants, see if you can begin to train your mind to look for an exit. Observe what is happening around you, what is standing out. Make a decision to point your attention away from your, from your cell phone and instead focus on the now. Focus on the people that are around you. See how much you can memorize from your surroundings and continue to sharpen your mind. How am I doing so far and how much time do I have? You're doing excellent and you have all the time you need to wrap it up. It's up to you. I mean, I'm right now I'm enjoying it and I'm I'm thinking the people are too and they're taking your valuable advice at this point. So let it roll. Well, the hardest part is I don't have my glasses on so I can't hear. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a joke. But anyway, I'm going to go on to more situational awareness um, where I'm going to discuss what is called a red team. And um, this this is um, something that I got from a friend of mine who were, who has been IDF, which is um, Israeli Defense Force. His name is Ami Tobin. Um He is a... Um, executive protection, um, NGO, um, operative, um, retired IDF. Um, but this is entitled red team and I have his permission to, uh, use his information where this, um, broadcast is concerned. A red team is a non-hostile group or individual that challenges a system or an organization by simulating a potential adversary. 
So this is a simulation. This is training, training your mind, going back to OODA loop. This is done in order to uncover security vulnerabilities that are often not apparent to organizational insiders. The term is from the Cold War, um, and it's a Cold War practice of the United States forces taking a Soviet, which is like the red perspective. Uh, Russia used to do the same, calling it a blue team, which would be taking the United States perspective. The red team exercises um, can be applied in both the cyber and physical realm and in the cyber physical arena. But um, for this particular broadcast, we're going to be discussing just the physical red team. So in red teaming, the biggest problems I've encountered in the field of red teaming is that the concept means different things to different organizations and even to different people within those organizations. It could be implemented in many different ways for a number of different reasons and with a number of different goals. The diversity of views on this topic, and I can tell you from experience, open you up to some pretty embarrassing situations if everyone is not on the same page, and I can attest to that. I've been involved in private sector red teaming in one way or another for around 13 years. Um, red team exercises have long been a part of HICOMS, field supervision programs. I started out as an operator in this program, and then I ran it for a number of years. I've also applied red teaming to organizations other than HICOM and have managed various types of red team type activities in the covert protection and surveillance detection field, both in training and in operations. Now, with this in mind, I'm going to try to explain a few things about red teaming, but I want to make it clear that I am in no way claiming to be an objective authority on the topic. These are my own insights and recommendations based on my own experiences. And there's like one type and one size does not fit all. Red teaming can be done for the purposes of testing, training, drilling, evaluating, or all of the above. It can be applied to facilities, campuses, residences, event venues, travel routes, and more. And it can be applied in situations where no security personnel are present or in situations where an entire security team are being tested. It can be done when security forces are ready for it and in cases when they're not. And I've been in those. In highly controlled scenarios or in more open-ended environments. Red team exercises can test anything from outer perimeter visual control to inner inner circle access control. And they can take the form of anything from red zone hostile surveillance role play, mobile, static, whatever, to inner perimeter penetration testing. I will be getting into that here shortly. It's also worth considering that red team exercises can be applied as a singular one-time snapshot test. It's a set of tests that give a less anecdotal picture or as ongoing tests to measure change over time. This is where situational awareness is very important. You do not know who is coming into your circle of environment. What is your circle of environment? Some people say, oh, three feet all around me is my environment. Do not get any closer. Some people say six feet, social distancing, whatever they want to call it. Some people, like me, have, have to have acreage between themselves and people. I, it's two people out there for me, so I like to have my privacy. Anything inside my circle 
to me, if they are not invited here, they are a threat. Each case that I will be talking about has its own goals, their own methods, their own measurements of success. There's no one size, no one goal, no one method, one measurement of success to fit all. Uh, things change all of all of the time. That is where you need to be aware and you need to know how to react. And so what is the goal? Well, red team exercises can have various goals and methods for reaching those goals. And I'm going to give you three different types. Um, there are other types. And so this is not all inclusive. But this is just for example, so you can start thinking about what, what you need to do in your mind for your situational awareness, no matter where you are. One of them is surveillance mapping. You need to gain a better understanding of the area around the property, which is the red zone, uh, locating potential vulnerabilities and avenues of, of attack in the property or the area in question, um, and identifying the surveillance vantage points which can be used to observe said, vulner said vulnerabilities. There's the outer circle testing. It's checking to see if Security operators are maintaining deterrence by appearance, detecting people observing property by paying attention to surveillance vantage points, to individuals spending time in the area. Who's standing around and just watching your area, looking around, observing, taking photographs? Expose, acknowledge those individuals that they've been detected. Let them know. You don't have to walk up to them and say, hey, what are you doing here? But let them know, let them see you. I see you see me. And then there's the penetration testing. Check to see how easy or difficult it is to penetrate into a property in question and possibly into sensitive locations within the property, like the service room or server room, CEO office, boardroom, etc. Keep in mind that penetration usually only follows a stage of external surveillance, which can be uh, um, assessed with outer circle testing. And adversaries don't surveil and penetrate for no reason. A good example is the men at the grocery store. They are not going to stand at the door and surveil and make plans in their head. You can tell by the way that they're standing that they're up to no good. And the, the way that they were watching that lady. If you don't know your situation and situational awareness, you could be put, putting yourself in harm's, harm's way. I've seen way too many red team exercises that supposedly succeed in revealing security gaps, but that don't make much sense from the perspective of, of a realistic adversary that weighs their risk and benefit ratio. To mimic an adversary that doesn't have well-defined goals that are balanced against the risk of failure is to present a non-realistic picture, which makes it a less than adequate red team exercise. So what if a red team member managed to get into the building or get onto someone's property and get into someone's home? For an actual adversary getting into the building, it is a tool not a goal. Let me repeat that self. Let me repeat myself. What if a red team member managed to get into the building or your property? For an actual adversary, 
getting into the building or onto the property is a tool, not a goal. If they can't see what they potentially have to gain by getting themselves in there, they see no viable avenue of escape and exploitation afterwards, they're not very likely to enter in the first place. It's not worth the, worth the risk. They have a reason to enter. So if the exercise is supposed to mimic reality, but the red team's goal is to only get into the building, it might not be a very good exercise because it doesn't mimic what an actual adversary is more likely to do. So you need to follow a hostile planning process. As mentioned, adversaries, or anyone else for that matter, don't just take risks for no good reason. The way an adversary most often works is by following some form of a hostile planning. Uh, but you're like, Kate, everything about you, you're talking hostile, this, hostile, that. This is a hostile world. Even if this process is short and not very professional, at the very least, it'll be based on information leading to a decision, leading to execution, leading to escape and exploitation. Even if the red team exercise only tests one part of the process, in order to make it more realistic, this part should at least theoretically fit into some hostile planning process. Say, for example, if I break into Kaiser's Castle, my goal is not to just break in. There has to be something in Kaiser's Castle that I want. Let's say we are doing a red team scenario. And Kaiser's Castle, there's something in there that I'm ordered to get. I'm not going to break in there and turn around and leave and say, well, I broke in. Okay, my mission is done. I will break in. And if I have to be hostile to get what I need to get, I will be because that is what I am there to do. That is what this following the hostile planning process is. If there's an adversary, that adversary is not just going to break in and look around and turn around and leave. They are there for a reason. A red team exercise that doesn't take these factors into account isn't going to be very realistic. Um, for example, actual hostile surveillance isn't just conducted for fun. It's a necessary intelligence gathering tool for hostile planning process. Criminals don't just penetrate into facilities or surveil individuals for fun. They do it in order to attain certain goals. Hostile goals need to be balanced against hostile risks. Hostiles aren't trying to fail or get caught. Hostile goals need to be balanced against hostile costs and resources. Hostiles aren't going to invest in infinite amounts of time, effort, and money on undefined goals or an unwise return on investment. They are going to surveil. They are going to work at what they need to do to make their mission successful. Any security measure can be breached. That is why you train. We all know that there are no impregnable facilities or foolproof security programs. A skilled enough red team operator can almost always figure out a way to penetrate through defenses. And the question is, is the red team operator just trying to score points and show how skilled they are? Or are they trying to uncover gaps in a security program that are more likely to be exploited by actual adversaries? That's why we have a red team. 
And so that red team can go in and show you that you have discrepancies in your security. We do this all the time here. Red team operators, also investigative reporters, often reach unfair conclusions about gaps in security based on cases when they manage to get into a facility or breach security. Okay, sure. If you're calm, friendly, well-dressed, intelligent, well-spoken, who has extensive prior knowledge of the facility in question, and you utilize this knowledge for establishing a solid cover story, then yeah, it's likely that you'll be able to get in. But hostile individuals rarely possess even one of those factors, let alone all of them. Now, showing off your own personal capabilities with some gotcha penetration results doesn't really serve your client. Because if you're hired to break into the building that's supposed to be secure, it doesn't represent a realistic adversary. I myself have penetrated into every type of facility campus, especially that in private home. I've, uh, quote, visited, unquote, uh, a neighboring Middle Eastern country without a passport twice. That's not bragging. That's training. I've talked myself out of Egyptian police custody after being arrested for ammunition smuggling. That's a long story. That's a whole other show. I received a year-long visa with a work permit in Japan after establishing an assumed Canadian identity. On top of all of that, I think I'm going to be investigated now. On top of all of that, I also have extensive in-depth knowledge and experience in private security operations. So if I put enough time and effort into it, I can probably get into your facility or breach your security. But what would be the point of it? to show that I can penetrate your defenses. If it doesn't give you a realistic representation of what an actual likely adversary might do, an adversary with criminal goals, then it's not worth much. In order to keep things realistic and therefore useful, try not to fit your red team exercises to be, you need to fit your red team exercises to be realistic of your adversary goals, resources, and capabilities. Know that I just a disclaimer here. Um, visiting a neighbor Middle Eastern country without a passport twice um, was a hired incident where we were hired to um, go through customs. We were hired by um, the Egyptian. Uh, the Egyptian police to see if we could get out of custody. Um, every single one of these scenarios that I talked about, we were hired to do for security purposes. So with that disclaimer there. Well, Egypt is a, a funny animal you bring up. Uh, Hannes Julian, a, a friend of mine, started a uh, company. And he, uh, it was basically protecting ships maritime and mm-hmm. uh he didn't listen to me and he ended up uh you, you guys can find it's maybe translated into english now but uh he wrote a story he had a phone smuggled to him like five times while he was in prison in egypt uh he was there for three and a half years and it's called three and a half years in egypt by hannes fjordinger and uh anyways him and another guy a german 
they both went over to um, Egypt and did everything wrong. I told him to take the boat going through to meet it at its first port of call before he got to Egypt. I told him to use a sat phone, uh, call when he was 12 miles out. This is during the uh, revolution Egypt had. And I said, it's a whole new government. You better make sure that your licenses are good. And he goes, oh, I got it. I, it would be fine. It would be fine. And I'm like, cool, Hannes. And damned if he didn't fly into Cairo with four, um, they were uh, Molson Nagants, uh, bolt actions, because they'll range the AKs. That's why you use Molson Nagants. And, and uh, you can pretty much sn- snipe. They're really accurate if you if you uh, flat if you uh, glass line them if you mm-hmm. glass pack them and you scope them so there's no problem with them using them for uh, maritime and he had 400 rounds of uh, 7.62 by 54R rounds that's the rounds that it takes anyways his licensing the new government did not uh, respect and he went to prison the other guy ended up getting out after a year he was there for three and a half years. Well, so, the Egyptian government didn't have a sense of humor, did they? No, it was a new government, and the <laughs> Muslim Brotherhood was running it, and everything that uh, Mubarak, you know, his 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 uh, authority was gone, and so those licenses meant nothing. But if he would have listened to me, he would have made that call. If it sounded squirrely, all that would have been dumped in the ocean before he hit port. But he didn't listen to me, so he went to prison. Uh, it, it's amazing though that a lot of the places that you talk about, it's super easy. Uh, they are bribery prone. Um, Iraq's the same way. Uh, so is Afghanistan. Most failed states, you're pretty good for about the first six months because they're busy killing each other. So that's been my experience. But, but you know, if it's not a failed state. If it's working, then you're going to have other issues. But, yeah, I get where you're coming from on that. Uh, we crossed the border twice into Iran because we're in Wasit province in Iraq. And uh, all of a sudden, the desert's a big desert, and they don't have customs and border protection everywhere. So it's just amazing that you know people don't realize you can accidentally cross into another country. I think there was a Marine if memory serves, who accidentally crossed into Mexico and went to prison. Do you remember that mm-hmm. one? Yes, yep. that, that he had a rifle. Recently, in the last year or so, or two yeah. years or something like that. Yeah, I mean, that's so it, it, this stuff is real. I mean, for the folks that are listening to this in the Southwest, they know this. And all deserts are the same. It's, it's really amazing. Like I said, folks, Kate brings a lot of valuable information and, uh, I had talked with Angel, we're marking down the time now, and I was going to ask her live on air with Angel's approval, Kate, if you want your own show, you can have your own show because I think your voice needs to be added to the PSN network. What do you think, Angel? I approve. There we go. (laughs) So, Kate, what's your answer, yes or no? You won't hurt our feelings. Eventually, yes. All righty. That's a good that's one. Better than, that's better than a no. Now, now let, me, let me finish this out real quick. So, and, and, and not to cut you off, but it awfully sounds like my uh, dating life. Eventually, yes. 
Yeah, we'll, we'll <laughs> eventually. <laughs> eventually. Yeah, uh-uh. But, but anyway, um, getting on with this really, really quick, because I do not have much left here to do. Um, red team exercises will always be in the form of an adversarial test. They can also be utilized for the purposes of training. Um, my teams have always been hired to do red team um, exercises for, for companies because they claim that they cannot be breached, and we breach them. And when, once you know their weaknesses, they're, they're done. Challenging security operators with red team scenarios on a regular and unpredictable basis can cause them to perform better. And this is while hostile surveillance role play is so important during surveillance detection training. It's one thing to talk about how to detect a hostile, hostile observer. It's quite another to experience it, even if it's just in simulation. Most of the time when we are hired by a CEO to do something, the rest of the company does not know what we are doing. It is a simulation to the CEO. It is not a simulation to the rest of the company. The HICOM, for example, has been implementing this strategy with success for over 15 years, and each facility being tested once or twice a week. Now, one of the questions that comes up regarding this idea is what the, the value of the red team testing security operators who already recognize the team members. It's like, can't, don't they already recognize or know the team members? Situational awareness. They do not pay attention. When they do not pay attention, you're, you're just another face. The answer to this question has to do with goal definition. When your goal is to test and train security operators on their attention to people in the environment, people in surveillance vantage points, and people trying to get into the property, then there's still value even when the red team members are recognized. Some people recognize you. Some people do not. Most people do not because they are in the moment and they do not want to, they do not want to recognize you. Oh, yeah, I've seen you before. You're in the building, so you must be cool. And this is because a security operator can only recognize a red, red team member if they detect them, and they can only detect them if they're paying attention to the rele relevant locations in the first place. The follow-up action that a security operator performs when they recognize a red team member, usually in the form of a wave or something like that, isn't as important as the attention we want them to pay to people in the environment. In order to recognize someone, you have to detect them first. Even if all of this strategy gives you security operators who pay more attention and detect people in the environment, then they're doing quite well. We always follow up the red team portion of this type of training with an immediate face-to-face -face evaluation of how the operator did. And this is followed with on-the-job field training on how to improve visual control detection and response if the operator's performance is lacking. The results of each check are put into a a dedicated evaluation form, and these forms factor into the operator's employee evaluation program. I can tell you from experience that by implementing this type of test, train, evaluate, trifecta, over time, I've gotten security operators to point where no one can get within two blocks of the facility that they're securing without getting detected, and usually within about 30 seconds. I would often get immediately detected as I was still approaching the facility in my car. 
security operators that have a level of visual control that enables them to immediately detect and recognize a red team member as soon as they get even near the area in question are not likely to miss an actual hostile observer who will have to spend a considerable amount of time observing their target. Now remember, attacks and or penetrations do not come out of nowhere. They usually depend on initial external observation in order to collect information, which is what we call hostile surveillance. Security operators that can detect and expose people who are doing this can nip the hostile planning process in the bud and prevent it from reaching the latter stage of penetration or an attack. Now, there are two major mistakes to avoid, and this will be quick, and then I can give it back to you. Do not lose control or try not to lose control over the situation. Good examples um, are cases where the red team exercise includes placing a suspicious item that security operators need to detect. Leaving the item on the property, no matter how well it's marked as harmless for training purposes only, etc., it can backfire if it gets discovered by a non-security employee, a visitor, or just a passerby. This can also happen if it's the red team member that's detected placing a suspicious item, observing the property, or trying to penetrate the property. People who don't realize what's going on can even call the police in some of those cases. And most of the time, especially nowadays, the police come in with their guns drawn. Though this can be viewed as a positive result of somebody detecting you, I can tell you that individuals who don't realize that it's harmless to say nothing of the police officers that respond to the report, they're not going to appreciate that it's just a drill. The second one is taking it too far. Now, I've seen cases, this has not been any of my teams, but I've seen cases where red team members have used ladders to break into facility windows at night or they've dressed up as armed Islamist militants to test the security responses. That is not smart. I wish it were um, where people were actually on the red teams and they were using their heads. Needless to say, this is the kind of stuff that can backfire and dangerously so. That It's a terrible idea to do that. I know of cases where the police have been called by people who don't know that it's a red team exercise. And one case where the facility actually went into lockdown mode. Do not go overboard with your role play. Always maintain control of a red team exercise. Make no assumptions about what's going to happen and make sure you can quickly identify yourself and explain what's going on if the need arises. Any questions, comments, complaints, concerns, criticisms? Keep the criticisms no, low, please. No, I, I think it was fine. I think it was awesome. Uh, what I will say is, in my experience, this actually is what you were describing is what we call blue on green. And mm -hmm. uh, that's where I've run into it, where on a facility that was exclusive jurisdiction, um, I had a gentleman under under my gun arresting him, and, and uh, a cop that was a local cop because this facility also allowed local police to come on and uh, get equipment mm -hmm. and uh, for the police thing that DOD does. And the the the, the, the uh, deputy pulled his gun on me, and I 
threw my badge to my back so he could see, you know, my badge, it could have went very bad very quickly. Caused that facility to change their rules. By the way, it's this has been an awesome show, and uh, I will say this. Thank you very much tonight, Kate, as my co-host, and you did a lovely job, as always. And thank you all for stopping by Kaiser's Castle, taking a seat on my big orange couch, drinking your coffee, tea, soda, or adult libation. And with that being said, I'll slowly raise the drawbridge as you meander on out of Kaiser's Castle. God bless. Be well, be safe. Chef out.